It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pre edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring. As always, it's presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. Rick, we got a lot to get to. I, I'm actually going to start, though, on, a, on kind of a gambling front for just a quick second. You know, you, you think you know everything, then you don't think you know a thing, then you think you know everything. I, I'm in a, a, a league. It's a pretty big league. There's a, there's a bunch of people in it where we have to pick five games in the NFL against the spread every week. So two weeks ago, I went 5-0, and oh, and you get a little cash prize for, for going 5-0. and oh. it, it's, it, it, it doesn't get all your money back for entry fee, but it gets you on the road to it back. And I thought, yep, I'm on a roll. I, I think I won four the first week, then three, then three, then five. Something along those lines. Followed it up with a one-win week. Then I think I don't know anything. I followed it up with a five-win week again. So I've got five and zero oh the last two of the last three weeks. I'll take it. Yeah, I was going to say if you do that two out of every three weeks, you're in pretty good shape. And also, if you look at our standings in our betting segment, you are crushing it. So people on here think you're a genius. I wouldn't even tell yeah, them about your bad I, week. Yeah. I was just say I'm not a genius. There's there's a correction coming. It's like the market. There's a correction coming at some point. Well, like you mentioned, we've got a lot to get to, but really where I want to start this podcast off is where I think a lot of listeners of the podcast would like to start it off. We, we want to know about last weekend and your Kentucky Wildcats. So let's start there. You, your Wildcats are ranked 11th in the country now after pounding LSU 42-21 over the weekend. They'll take on an undefeated number one ranked Georgia on Saturday at 3.30 p.m. My first question is, what was that 42-21 win over LSU like? Because you don't get to see a lot of those. And then secondly, is there any possibility that Kentucky can turn the entire college football world upside down and pull the upside over number one Georgia? Yeah, I mean, I, the, the thing I will say there is a possibility is because of what we saw Texas A&M do against Alabama. Now, granted, that was at Texas A&M. Um, I do get that Texas A&M was actually highly regarded before the season started. I think they were ranked sixth in the country when the season started in the preseason poll, somewhere along those lines. And I think when you see some of that, um, it tells you that they probably had underachieved up until that point. So that, that probably lends itself to more of a chance to upset a team. I do think this Kentucky team is legit. Um, they can throw it. They, they, they certainly can run it defensively. They're, they're, they're really good. Now they're down a couple of tackles, Marco Emanuel and, and, and um, Octavius Oxendine. And that's a big deal against a team like Georgia. That's just going to pound you between the tackles a lot of times and try to out physical you. And they've done that, but yeah, there's a fighting chance. Now they're a 23 and a half point underdog. Um, I, I think I like the points there when we get to our gambling segment, but yeah, I'm, I'm legit excited for it. I, I, I thought they were better than Florida before the season started. I told you that, and they went out and won. I wouldn't have thought they would have been better than LSU. I thought LSU would have reloaded after last year, but they're just not very good. Again, I'm not going to take away from those wins because you didn't just squeak by LSU. You beat them by three touchdowns and probably could have been even worse than that, to be honest with you. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's exciting. The, the thing that, that, that's, that scares me a little bit is, look, go down to Georgia and lose. There's no shame in that. I mean, I think we've seen the, the line of demarcation right now, and there's my favorite line, as you know, is, is Georgia and everybody else. I mean, it really is. At this point in the game, with what, with what we've all seen with our eyeballs, I think you'd agree it's Georgia, and then it's a drop-off to everybody else. Clearly, Yeah, so I think there's there's that. Um, I, I just fear that after that, they have to go play. They do have a week off. That's the good part. They do have to go play Mississippi State on the road. Tennessee's gotten better. I still think they're better. And then they close with with two cupcakes in Louisville. They close with Vandy, New Mexico State, and then Louisville. So if they lose this game, eleven and one and and ten and two is still in play, and that puts a New Year's Bowl back in play again for them um, for the second time in, in in three four seasons, whatever it is. I, I, it's legit exciting for me. So take me through last Saturday. Where what was the situation when you were watching them put forty two points on LSU and run up the score? Well, I ended up, <laughs> my my daughter and wife went to visit my youngest daughter in Florida where she's working in Orlando at Disney World. So they went away for the whole, for like five days. And um, I was all prepared to kind of just sit, chill, watch the game and 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 just kind of enjoy it in my own lonesome time where I could yell a little bit. My, my youngest dog, my youngest Shih Tzu, whenever I yell at the TV, it's the funniest thing ever. She barks at me. She doesn't like me yelling. So I, I kind of had her sitting next to me going, all right, you're going to have to relax. I'm going to yell some here. Relax. <laughs> well, then I get a phone call on my way back from broadcasting a game that said, for my oldest said, can you pick up my dog and puppy sit tonight? I'm like, sure. So he's a good little guy, but so I'm I'm kind of herding cats and trying to watch the game. By the time I went and got her dog and got home, Kentucky was already up. They'd already recovered a fumble and they were already up. And then um, I kind of eased into it. And honestly, I never had to sweat it. I never had to sweat it. I was I was prepared to sweat the whole night, like the Florida game. Never really had to sweat it. So it was good. 
Yeah, I mean, it was. if you're a Kentucky fan, that's got to be one of the more rewarding games to watch over the last several years because even when they've had a big win or two, they don't normally look like that from a Stoops team. Yes, correct. And better better yet, till, still, my, my friend Catherine Terrell, who writes for The Athletic and covers the New Orleans Saints, she used to cover the Bengals uh, for ESPN, um, and uh, she's an LSU grad. I'm a Kentucky grad. She actually came up for the game. The other good part of that is she and I made a bet of whichever, and I gave her points. I gave her the, the line, which was three and a half points. Um, the, the loser has to buy the, give, give the other basically a night on the town the next time she comes up here. So I've got that in the back pocket too. Well, there you go. When I was watching this game, and and not just this one, but watching the way this season has unfolded for this UK team, when you look at Will Levis and Wandale Robinson specifically, do they possibly suggest that the transfer portal and NIL deals even maybe to an extent are going to have the opposite impact of what everyone's expecting on college athletics? And what I mean by that is everyone yeah, I actually... You, yeah. It, you know, it's going to make the rich richer and it's going to make it hard for other schools to compete. And what we're seeing, especially with Kentucky, is, well, you had a guy in Will Levis and a guy in Wandale Robinson who weren't getting featured early on at their previous schools the way they expected to be. They move on to a place like Kentucky, which isn't typically a, a football power. And now they've turned Kentucky into a legit contender in one year. Is it possible that this is going to create more of a democratization of college athletics and that guys who are talented aren't going to sit behind a stockpile of talent at the big schools and the schools that recruit really well, especially in football where, you know, the Alabamas, the Ohio States and the Notre Dames load up so much on high end talent. Are we going to see them disperse a little bit quicker through the transfer portal and to try to earn those name image and likeness deals? Because Will Levis was going to be a backup at Penn state. Now he's a star. I mean, he is a star in the SEC. He's one of the top quarterbacks. I think you will. I think we started to see that over the last few years. Um, you know, Joe Burrow didn't want to sit behind people at, at Ohio State. Obviously, can't blame him, can you? Justin Fields didn't want to sit behind people at Georgia. Now he used he used race as a as a as a reason for getting out of there and being able to train. That was before the transfer portal was a thing. It was kind of in motion, right? They were starting to grant just about everybody's transfer that wanted one, but you had to have some excuse to do it. So Justin Fields did that, went to Ohio State. Now look at right. him. It worked out but, great for him. But those and guys I think went now the transfer to, those guys went to LSU and Ohio State, though, at the time, so were powers. You know what I mean? This is a little bit different in the sense that yeah, these, fair, these guys went fair to enough. Kentucky. Yeah, fair enough. I it, And I to answer your question, I do think that's going to take place because, you know, for every Quinn Ewers that comes out of high school and can get an NIL deal probably just on the merit of being a five-star, right? You're going to have a handful who are maybe four stars who aren't going to get that NIL deal. They're not the elite of the elite. They're really, really, really good. And if they sit behind somebody for a year and say, I can play this game, they are going to go find the best deal that they can get. And um, and then that when you, when you are the starter at Kentucky or pick any other, Louisville, Indiana, whatever, um, if you are the starter, you're going to get your NIL deal with with them too. I think I think I just saw. Didn't Desmond Ritter just get an NIL with a, a car dealership in Louisville? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I mean, and that's you know, it's, I know it's a different circumstance, but you know, UC's not a power. They're 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 a power currently in in the way their team is playing, but it's not a traditional power by any stretch. So I do think that that's going to take place. I think it's a really good point. Yeah, I just I think UK is kind of the the poster for that this season in the sense that we're seeing it all across the landscape. But Kentucky's a really good example of how quickly all of a sudden you can become a legit contender when you've got a couple of big time transfers from other oh, they schools. Changed everything. I think we're going to continue to see that, especially in football, because these teams get so loaded up with talent and you can quickly fall two or three guys down on the depth chart, even as a top four-star guy and you know what you saw with like a guy like Wandale Robinson so I think it's interesting and I think Kentucky is is a really good example of how it can impact some of the lesser teams if you will even and, and I'm I'm really interested I think overall the transfer portal the NIL steel stuff has shown no inkling that they're going to ruin college athletics the way a lot of no, people expect I, it to. I, I, I agree with you I think you're dead right all right, Cincinnati moved up to number three in the rankings after beating up on Temple 52-3 to last weekend. The Bearcats were also helped out by Alabama and Penn State losing and falling out of the top five. UC will take on Central Florida this Saturday at noon. But Skinny, what do you think Saturday's upsets and the general unpredictability of this season mean for the Bearcats right now as we enter the second half of the college football season? I think it kind of made it worse. 
I'd put a lot of people back in play, in my opinion, and that's what makes it worse. Um, because a one loss Alabama, if it beats Georgia in the SEC championship game, is gonna get in. Um, but it also now puts, and you made this point, and I I dismissed you on it, and I'm shame on me. Uh, you know, Ohio State's back in play. Oregon's back in play. Um, you know, you still got Oklahoma that's undefeated that's in that's in play. I mean, it's so many of the schools I'm talking about back from power fives, not to mention still those undefeated teams in the in the Big Ten from Iowa, which chances are pretty good, Rick, based on what side of the the the, the conference they're on, that they're going to finish the regular season unbeaten and get to the the Big Ten championship game. Um, at that point, does a one loss Ohio State from the other side? Beating a, 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 a undefeated Iowa, does that get them back into the mix? I, I just I think the chaos now has made it harder for Cincinnati, and that sucks because I, I you know you've you've the committee's asked teams like that go out and schedule some people and go beat some some big teams on the road. Well, the Indiana one sucks because they're terrible, and that's just that's unfortunate. But Notre Dame still has some cachet. The the problem is you need Notre Dame to keep winning. I mean, if you even if you're not a staunch Notre Dame fan, and there's you know there's obviously there's both sides of it. There are the deeply rooted Notre Dame people, and there are a lot of anti Notre Damers, right? But if you're an anti Notre Damer who's a UC fan, you better root with all your heart for them to keep winning because that win needs to have as much significance as humanly possible. But I think the chaos is going to make it harder on Cincinnati. Now I think there's going to be an outcry if they go undefeated, and you do have, let's just say you have everybody else with a loss. Then I think you got a little bit of an issue. It's weird because when everyone like UC fans were cheering for Alabama about the loss, I was sitting there going, I'm like, I'm not sure if that's a great thing for Cincinnati that they lost. But then I start thinking, I'm like, well, if Alabama and Georgia are both undefeated until the championship game, that doesn't make it any better for them. You know, Alabama or Georgia with one loss, both of them are still getting in. So the potential now that Alabama could pick up a second loss would I guess keep Alabama out of the playoffs potentially if they lost to Georgia in, in well, the final in the SEC let, let, championship? Let me ask you this scenario: Let's just say Georgia slugs one out with Kentucky, wins sixteen to fourteen, and you go, "Boy, Kentucky's legit." Just happens Georgia was better on their home field that day, and Kentucky winds up with a loss. Georgia goes and kicks Bama's ass. Let's say they beat them by two plus touchdowns in the in the SEC championship game and proves they are clearly the best team. Shows you Kentucky's not far behind, right? Do they even get in the conversation at that point? Probably not, but. If we're looking at it logically, if we're talking about Bama, you know, with the one loss and Georgia with the one loss, but I mean, the, the scenarios right now are just mind boggling. And I think, again, it, it goes back to, I, you know, I'm not going to beat the dead horse with the expanded playoff. I just think we would be so, it would be so much better and it would give it so, everybody's like, oh, you're going to water it down. With, no, you're not going to water it down with eight teams. You're going to have eight really good teams in there. Trust me, you're going to have eight really damn good teams in there and the occasional Cinderella to, to take a big swing at the stick. I, it just, it's mind boggling to me. Yeah, people act like because there's usually a pretty big divide between the top team or the top two teams on a given year and maybe teams three and four, like we see in the playoffs typically, that that's a huge issue and we shouldn't expand it out. Well, that's because team four is always Oklahoma who can't stop anybody. Right, but the reality is from team four to team eight, there's a lot of unpredictability and those teams are very close. I agree that in any given year, the top team or two is usually significantly better than three, four, five, six. And I but think that's Georgia. And I do think Georgia is that team, but it I, appears to be not. that way this year. Right. But after Georgia, you've got this jumble of teams that would make for a very exciting college football playoff. Even if we expect and know that Georgia will win it all, it still makes the rest of the playoff a whole lot more fun. I, I don't think there's any downside to that. And you're right there. I mean, there's no point in relitigating whether or not there should be an extended playoff. I think everybody agrees at this point, but going back to the idea of, and again, I don't know that this past Saturday changed the landscape for UC, but as you start looking at this, like you said, you start looking at all these teams with one losses. It's like, okay, so Georgia loses the one loss Bama in an SEC championship game, potentially. Let's start there. Then undefeated Iowa loses to a one loss Ohio State in the Big Ten championship game, which is a le very legit possibility as we sit here today. And Oklahoma either wins out or loses to Iowa State or Texas in the Big 12 championship game. Where where does that leave everything at that point? Are you really putting UC in over Georgia and Bama both? Are you putting them in over Iowa and Ohio State both? Are you putting them in over Oklahoma? I mean, that's that's going to be a tough call all of a sudden. Right now, the sporting news, they're doing projections the rest of the season every week on who they have in, in all the bowl games, but obviously the playoffs is what we're talking about right now. Currently, they have Georgia number one, Oklahoma number two. Wow, that's, incre State. that's incredible to me that Oklahoma's number two. They suck. 
Oklahoma or Ohio State number three and Cincinnati number four as their four teams in the playoffs. And they're projecting this all out. They're they're saying right. we expect Ohio State to come back and win the the Big Ten championship, and we expect you know Georgia to beat Alabama and give them a second loss. So they're doing projecting there, but that's how they currently have it. Um, I guess the other thing I can ask you from a UC perspective is, does the fact that they have now slid into this three spot in the AP poll, does that give them a big boost here for their argument? I think it should. I don't know if it does, but I certainly think it should. Um, and I will say, I know I know Luke Fickle doesn't want to talk about this, and I think he's well aware of it. You need to keep winning with style points, man. I'm, I'm sorry for that, but you do. And to their um, credit, they absolutely did this And week. they did, no question. I, I was the one that thought they'd have a letdown, not lose obviously i i i told you i, I think I, I picked them on the pick temple on the spread getting the 28 and a half and i think i picked uc by 21 something along the line. i thought they'd win comfortably but no they went out um there was no letdown whatsoever it was i think i think they are well aware now of hey when we play a team like this we need to put them away and put them away with style and keep rolling forward because nobody's going to think much of our aac wins they're just not i mean maybe maybe smu if smu keeps winning maybe that that gives you a little something because i think they're they're what 21st yeah, I think they just 20, got it right. 23rd in the AP poll. So they're, they're, okay. so they're ranked. Yeah. So they're ranked. So that 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 would that would give you two ranked wins beating because I don't think Notre Dame even if it loses another game or two falls out of the ranking. So I think they'll still be ranked. So that gives you a couple ranked wins. So that that's a good thing. But yeah, you you need to keep now that you're up there, you need people every week to see you beating the 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 even the UCFs of the world. Um you, they need to see you beating them 45 to 14 and they need to see you beat uh, a dumpster fire team 52 to 7. They need to keep seeing you do it. And kind of sucks, but if you want to keep your, your spot in there and people going, hey, man, they beat Notre Dame on the road, and I know Indiana, but they still beat them on the road, and they beat them by double digits. I mean, their two closest games were on the road by double digits against the Big Ten team in Notre Dame, and they've boat raced everybody else. It's a pretty good team. Yeah, I would not feel good as a UC fan if they were number five or number six or something right, like that right. right now. I wouldn't think they have a chance. The fact they are, that they are in that third spot right now, the AP – put them there and that's not the same people that select the college football playoff but that's correct it, it it is a big factor obviously you, it's hard to imagine they're going to drop in the polls right now assuming they don't lose and they're already in that third spot so you would think that helps them somewhat it gives them more of a leg to stand on than if they were on the outside looking in so to speak but man i still when you get down to the end and you look at the scenarios that could play out if you're sitting here with all these one loss teams and after their conference championship games, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, like the, again, if it's a one loss Alabama team and a one loss Ohio state team to go along with Georgia, are they really going to keep them out along yeah, with and, like an Oklahoma or something? It, so. Yeah. And, and again, shame on me. I, I just missed your Ohio state being back in last week. And, and I think I'm completely dead wrong on that because the other part to them is they, they still got Penn state, Michigan state, Michigan on the schedule, three really quality wins when they get right. them. And then Iowa, which I mentioned probably is going to be undefeated. If they do that and run, they're in. I mean, I, that's what I'm saying. Look at those they're four in. or five wins in a row that they would have to rack up, but also that you kind of expect them to rack up by the end of the season. So it's like, I, right. I, I right. agree with you. And I, I, as much as, but, but then I have say, to go back to, so, but then I have to go back to what about one loss, Oregon? Okay. Yeah. You stumbled once and so did Alabama. Yeah. But uh, the problem is once, they're in the pac 12. I get you. But then they still, they, they didn't just beat Ohio state, right? They beat them sound. They did. That's got to count for something. They did, but but their loss now to a a bad Stanford team or average Stanford team at best, and the fact that they play in the Pac-12, that's going to keep them from from getting in. And and I think that's that's legitimate. You know, they're not in the that top five jumble here with the rest of the teams. They're probably a bit behind. not. I, I I wouldn't worry about Oregon if I was UC. You've got them beat. I think, I think. you probably do too. But I don't know, man. The Power Five still swing a big stick when it comes when all said and done, man. That's true, but I think people can I th I think everyone can rationally say the Pac-12 is not going to be in it this year. I think a lot of people have already dismissed the Pac-12 as a conference. So I, I think there are way, you know, again, you're kind of looking at like the logic and the path to the playoffs for these teams. I think for UC, I wouldn't be worried about the Pac-12 getting in it for me. No, that's, and, and I and I think you're I think you're right. I just think there is going to be an outcry from an Oregon to go, look, Alabama stumbled on the road. Right. And you know, AM's and eight fair. and four. And we went to Ohio State and beat them. Yes, we stumbled on the road, but we beat a team that's in the playoffs at their place. I will say, back to your point, do you know how many Pac-12 teams are ranked in the top twenty-five right now? One. There's two. two. There's a second. Arizona Arizona State. Oh, you know, okay, many, that's right. you know how many AAC teams are ranked? 
too. So, I mean, yeah, there's a, you want to go tit for tat. Don't tell me the Pac-12 is significantly better. They both got the same amount of ranked teams in there. Yeah, exactly. And I don't think many people are making that that argument this year. I, I, I would feel good about that if I was a UC fan. But I'd feel better if Oregon lost another game, though. That's like the, I would yeah, say that. No, no doubt about that. While we're on the topic of University of Cincinnati Athletics, the basketball Bearcats were picked sixth in the American Athletic Conference preseason coaches poll that was released on Wednesday. Houston was picked first, followed by Memphis, SMU, Wichita State, and UCF before the Bearcats. Skinny, do you think six sounds high, low, or about right for Cincinnati and Wes Miller's first year? Yeah, I think part of it is the, the, just the roster overhaul, new coach, all of those things um, probably factored into it. I don't know enough about SMU to say that they're a definitive three. I do think Houston and Memphis are a definitive one, two, yeah. Um, yeah, based on what they've got coming back, obviously based on what Houston did last year, the fact that Memphis – you know, we don't know if Penny can coach or not, but he sure as hell can recruit. He still keeps getting guys, and, you know, um, that's got to account for something. So, yeah, if they'd have been anywhere from that three to six range, I think that's probably probably where it shook out. I do think they're going to finish higher than sixth in the league. I really do, but I, I get that in the preseason. I think that's fair. I think six is their floor. That's a good way of looking. It wouldn't surprise yeah, yeah. me if they end up finishing sixth, to be honest, with that's this, right. this group. But. I mean, they're not worse than East Carolina. They're not worse than South Florida. They're not worse than either of the Tulsaine crowd. They're not probably not worse than Temple. So sixth is probably their floor at this point. Now, the question is, you know, I think Houston, Memphis, and I'll give SMU being clearly better. Kendrick Davis is back. They've got some transfers coming into SMU that they're high on. I, I I can see that being pretty clear. Wichita State was 11 and 2 last year in the AAC. I think some people think that was a bit fluky, but they also bring back Tyson Etienne, who's potential right. conference player of the year. Uh, most everyone else is back on that team. So feel pretty comfortable putting them ahead of the Bearcats. So you got four right there. Then UCF is the one that I'm a little uncomfortable with looking at the preseason rankings. I know they returned Darius Perry, who did a good job there last year after coming over from Louisville. They've got CJ Walker from Oregon back again. I guess for UC, my biggest question is, can John Newman give them a punch, a scoring punch on the wing? Because I, that's, I just don't know how this UC team is going to score enough. I think David DeJulius is probably going to be their go-to guy. I like him. You've got Jeremiah Davenport that led them in scoring last year back. So you've who, got... Who was, a, picked, who was picked second second team second team all-conference preseason. Pretty nice. Yeah, and, and I think both of them are, are pretty good returners, but... That's that wasn't enough scoring punch last year. Uh, you you lose a guy like Terry Issa. You know you're going to have to find some more offense from somewhere. I don't think either of the big guys they've got transferring from high majors are going to give them much offense. So it kind of comes down to the John Newman question for me. Can he give them some scoring on the wing? He's seemed more like a athletic hustle role type guy coming over from Clemson. So if he can he can give them some scoring punch then I think they've they've got a chance to finish better than sixth. Yeah, and or can you can you maybe create some offense with defense under Wes Miller? I think that they're definitely going to try to do yeah. that. I don't think yeah. there's any doubt. He'll probably throw that three-quarter press on. I imagine they'll try to use that a lot, but one of the things about that to, to press, you got to be able to score first, right? So <laughs> that's a fact. <laughs> Unless you get a bunch of dead ball turnovers, get yourself set up, but that's not that's not putting the ball in the bucket either. Not easy to do at this level. So we will see. All right. Let's get to the Bengals finally. They're coming off a 25-22 loss in overtime to the Packers. They enter Sunday's game in Detroit as a three-and-a-half-point favorite, believe it or not. Skinny, how big of a game is this for Zach Taylor and the Bengals in the big, bigger picture, given what we know about the tough schedule looming in the second half of the season? I think I read in Pro Football Focus that the Bengals have played the easiest, second-easiest schedule to this point, and they have the second-hardest schedule the rest of the way. Yeah, I, I think it's it's paramount. You, you you cannot lose this game. You cannot lose this game under under any circumstances. You just you just cannot. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, their two losses are against two teams that have winning records. Uh, Chicago's now three and two, and obviously Green Bay's four and one. And the other the three wins were over teams with with losing records. And this is a team that's, that's winless on top of it. Um, I don't care that it's on the road. I don't care that they've been close and they've lost a couple of heartbreakers on crazy field goals at the end. I don't care that their head coach is crying because he loves his guys. Um, all those things. I don't care about any of that stuff. Um, you're the better football team and go go win this game no excuses and so um I 
look, look, they played with a little house money last weekend, right? It was the kind of measuring stick. Um, can can you can you can you hang with these these a team like this and maybe beat them? And okay, you know, it, it sucks they lost because they had opportunities, golden opportunities to win and didn't. And some of it was decision making, some of it was execution. But uh, you know, you come away with that going, all right, three and two, you're feeling pretty good. That's fine. You should go win this game. Go win this game. This is such a narrative game, and, and you know maybe not maybe definitely we make definitely. too much of that stuff in, in the NFL when it's oh, a week to week league and anyone can beat anyone in any given Sunday. And this Bengals team to me looks like a more competitive team that actually will be in games against the Browns and potentially against the Ravens. Like I think they have the chance to be competitive. I don't know if they can win those games yet, but I don't think this is like the end of their season. If they lose to the lions, that's probably not a reasonable way to look at it, but I do think it will completely change how everyone talks about this team and the way we look at them. Everyone feels pretty good about the way things have gone to this point, And you should, they have a winning record. You know, we were talking about the potential for disaster early on. They've avoided that. And they looked good against the Packers, that game in which you're saying they were playing with house money. But all of a sudden, you lose this game to Detroit, and you fall to 500, and you see what you have coming up. And it all of a sudden does feel a lot more like, oh, they were just beating up on bad teams, weren't they? They're not yep. quite the team we thought. They still can't get over the hump with Zach Taylor. They can't win close games. All of those things that we've talked about the last couple of years, that's all coming back in a giant wave if you lose this one. Well, and in the other part too, is to, you know, the narrative right now is, is Zach, Zach Taylor is a play caller. Um, why can't this offense get untracked? Um, you know, players, T Higgins, we talked to yesterday, Tyler Boyd and Zach as well, you know, talking about execution and try and convert in third downs. And that's right. I, I get some of that, but you still got to go do it. And that we're on the cusp of it. We feel like we're really close. Okay. That's fine. You know, I'm not asking you to go do it against the 85 Bears this week and get over and get the offense straight. I'm asking you to go to Detroit and get your offense straight there and win a game against the winless football team. I'm not asking for the moon. So yeah, you lose this game and the offense looks bad again. I think every question's on the table at that point of should he still be the play caller? What's wrong with this offense? Um, you know, listen, there are there are a lot of people in this league that would take the the skill position guys the Bengals have. Right? There's a lot of the from quarterback to the running back to the three receivers you can put out there. And let's not forget, the offensive line has been pretty good. Quentin Spain's highly rated by pro football focus at left guard. Jonah Williams is pretty highly rated right now by pro. So that, that part of the line's been pretty good. Not, a, not all the way across the board, but they've been serviceable and pretty good. So it's not like it's, boy, the offensive line. They just suck. No, they've been they've been good enough. It's why can't this offense convert the third and ones, third and twos, third and threes, third and fours? Um, why can't they get off to faster starts? What, what, why can't they be more aggressive early on, like you've talked about? Um, so I think if you lose this game, and it probably will be ugly if you do lose, right? Um, then there's a lot of question marks on the table. And then the pitchforks are out once again, for sure. The one thing that still drives me crazy about Zach Taylor when he answers these questions in your guys' press conferences, and he talked about it again just, I think, Wednesday, right before we're doing this podcast, about aggressiveness and how it's gotten them in trouble at times. I, then- I asked him the question. I, I, I phrased it in a way. I was trying to let him, not off the hook, I said, do you use the early part of a game as a feeling out process and then ramp up your aggressiveness? And have you thought about being more aggressive early? And go ahead and make your point now. Yeah, and he talked about how, well, you know, sometimes aggressiveness has gotten us in trouble, but he also made the point of it's not always about whether we're being aggressive or not. Sometimes we're calling the same play multiple times, and early in a game, they're taking away something with the coverage. Later in the game, we're getting that that look. And I understand. Sometimes you're setting things up or what have you. That's right. I get all that. You know, I'm not going to try to act like some football savant. But at the same time, what he doesn't seem to get and what drives me crazy to no end is – You've got two game breakers in your offense. I don't want to hear they took it away with their coverage. The point is force it on their coverage. Make their coverage, even if it's there, guard your best players. Because when you throw it up to number one and you give him a chance to make plays, even sometimes in double coverage or what have you, he's still making the play. You've got to give him more opportunities to do that. You've got to... See if that 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 coverage is really good enough to stop you, even if they're trying to take it away. It goes back to the whole, make them guard us. We're not going to let them dictate what we're doing. We're going to dictate that. to them what we're doing. And you have. You've laid that out multiple times. And I totally agree with that part. You know, it, It's not all about necessarily having identity and having to do the same thing over and over to me. It's more about, if you want to make it an identity thing, it's more about they have to guard us. 
We're going to do what we do well. We're going to call our best plays. We're going to put the ball in the hands of our best playmakers, and the defense will react to that how they're going to react to it. And then guess what? When they do, you've got other playmakers. When they do react to that, you've got other guys that you can go to. It's not like I'm looking and going, I got Trent Irwin as my slot receiver. No offense to Trent Irwin. You know what I'm saying? You know, you've got Tyler freaking Boyd there. Uh, and says, oh, my, my other outside receiver, you know, it's, it's Sammy Watkins and Sammy Watkins is just a guy. No, you got T freaking Higgins there. And yes, I realize he's not had a very good start this year. I'm actually writing a story on that today. Um, you know, he's, he had a couple drops the last game, the fumble in Chicago. Um, he's just kind of got like, missed a couple games with injuries and, and now he's back. And, and I think he's got a chance to help unlock some of this, the offensive woes. But listen, you got too many dudes on offense to have scored no more than 24 points in a non-overtime game yet this season. You scored 24 in regulation against the Vikings, 17 against the Bears. Let's not forget, seven of those were set up by who? Logan Wilson's interception return to the seven-yard line. 24 to the Woeful Steelers. 20, 21 in, in uh, or 24 against Jacksonville, but 21 of those before you kick the game-winning field goal. And then the 22 against, against Green Bay. You have six offensive touchdowns in the first half, Rick. Six is what they've got. Three of those have come on bombs to Jamar Chase in the last 37 seconds of the first half. In which you what? Forced the issue. Yes, exactly. Forced the issue. To that point, a lot of the offense in general has come as a result of Joe Burrow improvising, Joe Burrow calling plays at line of scrimmage, Joe Burrow extending yeah. plays, or you just getting a little desperate because you're down in the second half and you've got to force the ball downfield, or you've done nothing all first half and you've only got a few minutes left in the half and you're trying to force the ball downfield. When they've done that, they've gotten a little bit more explosive and they've made some plays. Aside and that's why from that, it feels like it feels like unimaginative. Early- Right. It feels like early in the game, I, and I, I'm with you. That's I, I was I, the feeling out process. I was trying to be fair with the question, but it's almost as if you're you're not only doing the feeling out process, but you're you're almost trying not to lose early. Like, oh man, if we turn the ball over, no, stop worrying about that kind of stuff. Just go play. And I think there's some of that. Yes, I do understand the feeling out process to set things up later in the game. And that's I, I fully get that. But other teams do that and manage to drive down the field on their opening drive and score touchdowns. Yeah, I had brought up a, a couple weeks ago kind of a throwaway point that I had I had heard Chris Collinsworth say something about pre-snap motion while I was watching one of the the games. And and I brought it up here. We were just talking about how it feels like the Bengals never do that. There was a piece in Pro Football Focus this week about how the Bengals are doomed and Zach Taylor is doomed if he doesn't change the way he's handling Joe Burrow and change the way he's handling the offense. And in it, it talked a lot about pre-snap motion and talked about how the Bengals are one of the lowest in the league in terms of how much they use pre-snap motion, how much they disguise this stuff. And basically, Zach Taylor is often asking both his linemen and his receivers to just go out and win one-on-one battles or one-on-two battles against a defense that knows exactly what's coming and is is recognizing what to expect pre-snap because they've seen it on film plenty of times. And it's like, you know, I'm not smart enough to recognize all those things myself while I'm watching the game, but I'll be damned if that's not how it feels watching. Right. I mean, you know, from a, a casual fans perspective, too. So, you know, I'm not doing the all 22 film like these pro football focus guys are and, and breaking down everyone else's offense. But damn, that's exactly how it feels is that everyone else in the league is using all this pre-snap motion, disguising everything they do. They're running these complex route trees that are making it hard for your defense to stick with guys in the seams. And the Bengals just don't seem to have any of that. Yeah, and you've got a guy that's making plays down the field that also should clear stuff out for people. And and that, that gets you those. I, listen, I don't think Joe Burrow's got a gun for an arm, but I do think he's extraordinarily accurate in the, those intermediate range passes. And it doesn't feel like that's the thing. It doesn't feel like they're getting those chunk plays. And, and you know, Paul Daner asked Zach a question yesterday about that of, you know, instead of trying to get everything to third and manageable, because, you know, he taught the coaches talk about that a lot. Got to keep it in third and manageable of, you know, can you get maybe some bigger chunks on first and second down and, and not even get it to third down? Um, and we got the gobbledygook answer again of I that it, it just it, I'm, I'm writing a story on it Friday and I'm going to have to piece together some of the gobbledygook because, um, you know, I, I know you're not doing well on third down. How are you going to fix it? Tell, tell me how it's going to be fixed. I, I don't I get that you're struggling on third down. I, I see the numbers. How are you going to fix it? Don't tell me God has got to execute better. There's something, there's got to be something more to that, man. There's got to be. And maybe it's on you as the play caller and play designer. All right. Anything else there to add on the Bengals and Lions? No. Uh, again, you 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 can't you cannot lose. I'm telling you, you lose this game. The pitchforks are back out on this guy come Sunday at 4 07 p.m. I don't even want to look at my Twitter feed. I really don't. I th- I think you're dead on. I mean, it 
it is going to come in a giant tidal wave of frustration from Bengals fans if they let this one slip away. So uh, in some ways, this feels like a pretty big game for the Bengals and especially Zach Taylor on Sunday. We'll leave it at that time to get into our betting segment where you just continue to kill it. You were 10, 5, and 1 last week. We had our first Man. push. You are 39, 22, and 1 overall on the season right now. 17 games over 500. You are six games up on me right now. I was 9, 6, and 1 last week. 33, 28, and 1 overall now. You got a profit line there, though, still. That's just good. barely. Yeah, razor yeah. thin profit margin, but still, you'll take it when you're up in betting or at least breaking even. Ohio State is off this week. We start on Thursday night, 8.20 p.m. We've got the Buccaneers visiting the Philadelphia Eagles. The Buccos are a six and a half point favorite, and the total is 52 and a half. Yeah, and that's gone down. I think they might have opened as a seven point favorite, to be honest with you. Um, yeah, I, I, all logic says take Tampa because they're going to roll the Eagles. I just, I don't know that. Um, I'm going to take that Monday night loss to the Cowboys a couple of games ago with a grain of salt. I still don't know what Nick Sirianni was doing, not running the football and throwing it and uh, hurts through the pick six early in the second half, and that led to the blowout. I thought they stood toe-to-toe with the Chiefs um, a couple Sundays ago, then go to the Panthers after being down, and they they win. They've had some good defensive moments. You know, I don't think Atlanta's great offensively, but they held Atlanta to six, held the Niners to 17, held the Panthers to 18. Now, I will say the two best offenses they played, the Chiefs and the Cowboys put up 42 and 41, and Tampa Bay is certainly every bit as good as them offensively. I'm going to throw logic out the window and take the Eagles in the points. I, I think Tampa wins it. I think there's some points scored in this game. I'm going to go Tampa 27, Eagles 23. All right. So you've got the Eagles and, and the un- that'll the be under, the under, under. 50. Yep. yep. I'm on the under as well here, but I like the Bucks to cover that number. With it going down under a, a touchdown, that just seems too inviting to me. Like you said, the Eagles defense is questionable when you look at the points they've given up. Uh, I'm going to go Bucks 28. Eagles 21, so that get, has the Buccaneers and the under for me. All right. Saturday at noon, we've got Central Florida at Cincinnati. The Bearcats are 21-point favorite. The total is 57-and-a-half. Yeah, I think UC showed me they're they're going to roll the teams. They need to roll in the league. I mean, obviously, UCF lost their quarterback in that Louisville loss in that last-second interception return, lost to Navy. That's only Navy's only win this year, then barely beat East Carolina at home. I, I think UC is just clearly better here. Um, give me give me Bearcats 45-10, to 10, so UC in the under. Yeah, we're, we're right about the same here on this one. I've got UC 42, UCF 14. I've, UC's defense is going to be a major problem for UCF. If you've seen them at all, like you mentioned, without their starting quarterback from the beginning of the year, they're just not a very good offense. And their offensive line struggles to protect their quarterback. If you can get pressure on a quarterback with this UC secondary, the opponent isn't scoring. I mean, that's just a reality of facing this UC defense right now. I think that's pretty much whatever conference they're playing against, but certainly in the American right now, I don't think UCF has any chance. And for some reason, I don't know what AAC opponents are thinking this year, but because the UC fan base is all fired up on Twitter, everyone seems to want a piece of them right now. So everyone like keeps giving UC bulletin board material and reason like, did you see Mackenzie Milton, the former UCF quarterback who's now Florida State? Yeah, yep. talking about how UC would be like the fourth best team in the AAC back in 2017 when he he won his mythical national championship with UCF. It's like, why why are people doing this to UC this year? They don't need extra no, that's bulletin right. board material to get through their AAC slate. Like, you're just helping them out. I, I You're crazy if you don't think players are seeing this stuff in 2021. Absolutely. No, so. oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and taking it to heart. Right, exactly. I mean, they're ju- they're just adding fuel to the fire. You saw the way they came out last week after a big win over Notre Dame. There was zero letdown there. I think they're going to go out and smack UCF, especially with all the talk that's been going around this week. So Agreed. All right, so we're both on UCM the under there. Finally, Saturday at 2.30 p.m., we've got Akron at Miami of Ohio, the game that everyone's been waiting to, to watch. <laughs> Miami is 19.5-point favorite. The total is 50 in the hook. Yeah, I, I don't think Miami can score enough to get it over 19 and a half. Akron's coming off a two-touchdown win at Bowling Green right after Bowling Green went to Minnesota and won. And, yes, I know you can't compare week to week and all that stuff. Akron's still a two-and-four football team, although two of their losses were to Auburn and Ohio State on the road. And, yes, I do realize Miami also lost to, to UC and Minnesota on the road. Um, I, I, Miami wins the game, but I think it's 
10 to 13 ish. I'll go Miami. I'll go Miami 27 19, a weird score just for fun. So give me Akron in the under there. All right. This is this is where we're going to differ big time. This is going to be a separator game for us, which if it's on the Miami game, that's never a good sign for me because I have been terrible at betting Miami, including last week in which I took Miami to beat Eastern Michigan finally and then Eastern Michigan won. Uh, I'm going to go Miami 42, Akron 17. I think Akron's ready for a letdown game. I think they <laughs> shot their wad last week. That's all they've got. I'm going Miami in the over here. I, I okay. feel great about it. Oh, that's Another great. game I'll be riveting, riveted yeah, to watch on Saturday. Exactly. Saturday at 3.30, we've got Kentucky at Georgia. The Bulldogs are a 23-point favorite, and the total is 44-and-a-half. Yeah, I, I think the Kentucky defense is good enough to keep Georgia in the 20s. I do, like 27-ish. I, I think I, I'm a big believer in the Kentucky defense. So then I got to look and go, well, what Kentucky can do offensively against Georgia? And it ain't going to be much. You know how many touchdowns Georgia's given up this year, Chief? Is it two at this point? Three? Uh, get Three. Three okay. touchdowns, one to UAB, which I'm assuming it was in a blowout. I listened to the end of the South Carolina game where uh, a kid just throws one up for South Carolina and they get a touchdown, and then Auburn scored one last week. Um, they're mean. This is just a great. This is a great football team. I do think Kentucky hangs around because of its defense. Can you get a big play from Will Levis to Wandale Robinson? Can you get a little bit out of your ground game? I mean, they've they've done it against everybody so far, but everybody ain't Georgia. Um, I'll, I'll go Georgia. I'll go Georgia 24-13, and it's probably I'm probably doing that more with my heart than anything else, but I'm going to go Kentucky covers and the under. And I am going to make a bet on Kentucky on the money line just because I'm going to have a rooting interest, and if they're going to win and pull off a big upset at a big odds, I might as well cash in on it. I assume you're saying that UK is going to kick two field goals there and not get two touchdowns? That's correct. That's correct. So my big prediction, my bold prediction was going to be that UK does score two touchdowns in this game. They'll be the first team to do so against George's defense. I think uh, Will Levis is up to the challenge here. When you look at the the Georgia schedule, there's an argument to be made that, you know, they haven't exactly dominated the toughest of competition. The Arkansas game is a nice win, but I, I, Kentucky's they definitely their ass. They but, kicked their ass. They did, but Kentucky is clearly going to be the best team that they've played to date. I so, think that's probably right. Yeah. Um, that includes Clem and that includes Clemson. Now I no doubt. But that being said, I don't see any way Kentucky is going to win this game. I do think it's possible that they can keep it within the points. I'm going to say Georgia 31, UK 14. They get that second touchdown, they cover the spread, so Kentucky and the over for me. All right, there we go. We've got Sunday 1 o'clock, switching over to the NFL. This is the Bengals who are three and a half point favorites at Detroit. The total is 48 for that game. Yeah, I, I, I can't go over because the Bengals can't score more than 24 points. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make the easy prediction here. I, I think they, they, they sweat this win out. I think it comes down to, to McPherson again. Hopefully they don't make him try a 57-yarder into the wind or with the wind or with the wind swirling. Um, well, they've got Bengals. a lot of confidence in him. I'm going to go Bengals 24-21, so Detroit covers, and it stays under the total. It's funny. I was right. I was writing that same score down uh, last night when I was, was putting these together. That's exactly where I had it, and then I go, nope, this is going to be the week that they break through. I was going through the same <laughs> thought process in my head. This is going to be, be the week that they finally break past that 24-point mark. They're going to kick two field goals in addition to the three touchdowns. They're going to score 27 points this week. So it's going to be Bengals 27, Lions 20. So that's Bengals and the under for me. But it would not surprise me at all if they scored exactly 24 once again. I will say last three weeks, the Lions against the Ravens, Bears, and Vikings. And the Vikings, I think, are a good offense. The Bears, not so much, but it was on the road. have given up 19, 24, and 19 points. Well, in all seriousness, and I know there's been some jokes made you know, because their coach is crying and everything, but I actually do think we'll agree that this isn't a typical winless team that you're facing. No. The Lions. I think they're okay. No, I, you know, you hear the typical, oh, they play hard. They, they do. I mean, they were getting killed by the Niners, came back. Remember that first week, that was kind of one of the bad beat backdoor covers, right? They came yep. from a mile down to cover it. 
Went to Green Bay and lost, and that was Aaron Rodgers' redemption game. That was the Monday nighter. You knew what he was going to do after they got their ass kicked in week one. And since then, the Ravens win on a 66-yard field goal that hits the crossbar. They go to the Bears and turn it over three times in the red zone um, and still only lose 24-14, and then lose on a 54-yard walk-off field goal last week to the Vikings. I mean, so they are extraordinarily competitive, and that's scary, especially coming back home. Yep. Sunday, 8.20 p.m., you've got Seahawks playing the Steelers in Pittsburgh. The Steelers are a five-and-a-half-point favorite, believe it or not. The total is 42 in the hook. Quick, who's Seattle's quarterback? That's a good question. I didn't, even, I didn't even know he was still in the league until he had to come in for Russell Wilson the other night. Geno Smith. Oh, that's right. That is right. I did see that. Yeah, I honestly I had no idea he was still in the league. I really didn't. I didn't either. That's a great so, point. So you get god-awful Geno Smith against old man Ben. And the Steelers are laying five. This is this is so hard. I just I'm gonna go Steelers. Steelers 27 14. I think Pittsburgh gets in, gets the win and it stays under. All right. So you've got them covering there easily. Yeah, and I don't think Pittsburgh's any good, but I th- I, I I've been on. I, it's funny. Um, Paul Daner and I d- did a thing this year where we got to pick three teams, and you could either pick their win total or their loss total. And we're going to aggregate the three together and whatever one's the biggest number, we win one of our little side wagers. Um, I took three teams with losses. I took the Lions, the Jets, and Seattle. I think they're terrible. I, and now they're terrible without Russell Wilson. I thought they were terrible with Russell Wilson. Because I All think right. Pittsburgh's terrible. I'm actually, I exactly. I can't pick Pittsburgh to cover a spread. I think they're going to win this game with Geno Smith. I kind of forgot about that whole situation, to be quite honest with you. I'm going to go Steelers 24 Seahawks 21 here. So Steelers get the win. Seahawks cover the spread and it goes over. That brings us to Monday night, 8.15 p.m. We've got Bills at Tennessee playing the Titans. The Bills are a five and a half point favorite and the total is 54. Yeah, I think this is the game where Tennessee puts itself back on the map a little bit. They had that bad loss to the Jets in overtime. They were without their two starting wide receivers. Um, Buffalo is going to come in a little fat and sassy after they beat Kansas City, right? And you're going to feel feel like we're the best team in the AFC. And honestly, I do think they are. I think they proved that. But I think Tennessee is one of those sneaky playoff teams like they were last year. And this is kind of the time last year they started to get all their act together. That's true. Um, I'm going I'm to go make a bet on Tennessee on the money line for starters, but I'm going to take Tennessee to win this outright with some points up on the board. I'll go Tennessee. I'll go t- Tennessee 31-28 with the outright win. So Tennessee in the over for me. I like the Bills and the over here. I'm going Bills 31, Titans 24. But I think, I mean, we've had some pretty good Sunday night, Monday night games the past couple weeks. This is another really good game that I'm looking forward to watching because, like you said, I think the Titans, this is a right about when they started making their run last year, and they look primed to do it again. It wouldn't surprise me at all if if they've got the lead or they pull off the win here. So um, I'm expecting a good game, but I think the Bills are – they're mature enough to handle this. Finally, they got their their uh, surprise loss out week one against the Steelers, which I still can't understand how that ever happened, especially after watching last week's game against the Chiefs. But I think they're uh, mature enough to handle this and they'll, they'll figure out a way to get the win. All right. I got my four team teaser of the week in, in the NFL. You ready for it? Let's hear it. All right, let's take a it's a six point teaser. I'm gonna take Detroit up to nine and a half because the Bengals can't beat anybody soundly yet. They can just they just win, baby. That's all I'm saying. I think they do win. I think that's but, a great call. But but I'm gonna take them up to nine and a half. I'm gonna take the Chargers on the road at Baltimore up to nine. I think the Chargers are legit. I don't know if they can win that game. Um at Baltimore, I think they have a I think they have a good chance to. And if you're gonna give me nine on top of that, and Baltimore's played so many of these close games, uh, I'm gonna have to take it up to nine for them. I'm gonna take um Kansas City down to basically a pick 'em at Washington. Uh, I, they're 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 going to get a get right game. They went to Philly. This is a bad division, the East, other than Dallas. The other teams are terrible. Kansas City does have troubles on defense, but I don't think Tyler Heineke can can pull them out of the fire. So I'm taking Kansas City down to win the game, and I'm taking Tennessee up to eleven and a half. All right. So you got Detroit up to plus nine and a half. Chargers yep. up to plus nine. Casey as a pick 'em, and Tennessee plus eleven and a half. There we go. I have a little college three-team parlay. No teaser here. I like uh, Florida minus 10.5 at LSU. 
Michigan State minus four and a half at Indiana. Let, let me stop you there real quick. Michigan State might be the most undervalued team all year. They keep it, getting these low spreads against teams they are clearly better in and then going out and kicking their ass. Tell me about it. They've been very profitable for me. I've been betting them almost every week, and I, I don't do, even I really do love them. I just that they're they keep getting disrespected by Vegas. I totally agree. I do not understand what the computers say about them that's not adding up. But my, my guy Kenneth Walker, man, there's my long shot. Heisman Trophy guy, and he keeps putting up big numbers. Well, if there's a year for a position player to win it other than quarterback, this is the year. I don't yep. necessarily disagree. Um, B. John Robinson has been really fun to watch, too. Wisconsin minus 14 at home over Army, too. I love Ooh. that pick. I cannot believe they're only a 14-point favorite at home. Ah, they're Army. just so bad offensively. I will say they're they're really good defensively, and obviously Army's one-dimensional with the option game, but they're, they're even one-dimensional. They're still really good with it. Ooh, I just, that one makes me sweat a little bit just because Wisconsin's so bad offensively. They're terrible. Graham Mertz is, is going to get them on track here against Army. Army's not very good. Uh, oh, yeah, I going, think Army's really good. Mm, I disagree. I disagree. Not against Big Ten competition. So Maybe maybe not. All right, Florida minus 10.5, Michigan yep. State minus 4.5, and Wisconsin minus 14. There's your uh, three-team parlay on the college football side. That takes us to some Ask Skinny Anything where we start with the big NFL news of the week. Skinny, what do you make of the John Gruden situation? I just want to know what more is out there, because you know there's more out there, not just on him, but on other people, right? Uh, yeah, like the whole reason they even started the investigation to begin with? Yeah, that's the thing that's been lost in this, right? This has now turned into the John Gruden story and not the Washington football team being investigated story. Oh, I think it's only been lost by the NFL. I think everyone else is very much wondering, when are we going to get the info on Dan Snyder being a complete creep and perv and sending having nudes sent to him of the cheerleaders and all types of crazy stuff? Yeah. Uh, on the John Gruden front, I mean, it just it's just dumb. I mean, it, it's just honestly just dumb. Uh, you knew as soon as that. I, I'm surprised he even coached on Sunday, to be honest with you. I, maybe it was just so far along in the week that he just, you know, rolled with the punches for the weekend. Um, maybe thought he could somehow survive. There was no way he was surviving this. There's just, there was no way in the world he was surviving this. Well, the thing is, he had to know how much more was in there that they had access to. And I would assume so did the, the front office yep. of the Raiders. So I guess when the initial leak came out where it just, you know, said he had basically used kind of a, a racial, I don't even know if it was a racial slur, but he was uh, belittling someone because of their race. That was like the first email that came out. And the only thing I think before the game that he coached that had come out. So I guess they had just assumed at that point, hey, it's going to be such a, a crap show anyways, as soon as the rest of this comes out. Why don't we at least get through this game and then we'll do damage control from there? I guess that was the thought process, which, you know, whatever. I had two thoughts when I, when I saw it. One, it's not funny to use the homophobic language or any of the stuff that he was saying. That's not funny to me, but it's funny the way he was talking about Roger Goodell. Like, call him a clueless anti-football P-word. That's funny to me. Yeah, I, I don't that, that 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 doesn't bother me. Yeah, and the fact that he was talking about Goodell the way we all talk about Goodell, right? It's hilarious. He's, like he's nothing that more was, than a suit. He's nothing more than a, a suit. That's what yeah. he is. He's always been a suit. Yeah, I, I had you know again the language that he's using has no place anywhere, but it was funny to see him talking about Roger Goodell as disrespectfully as he was talking about him. I thought that was funny. Two, if I were sending these emails like John Gruden, I would think it's fair game, and I would fully realize like sending emails anywhere, much less over company servers and things like that can come back to haunt me. And I would deserve to lose my job if, if it did. So I am fully of the opinion that this is fair game to get fired on and would be for anybody. At the same time, I would never feel comfortable exposing someone's private messages like this, whether it was um, yeah. emails, text messages, DMs, what have you. To me, there is just still something that Nothing that he says is right. And again, I fully agree that he or if it was me in that situation should be fired. Like I would hold myself to that standard of this is fair game and I deserve to be fired for this. I still couldn't imagine doing that to someone else where you're exposing correspondence of any sort that they thought was between them and someone else. That just seems like a weird part of the world we're in now that I'm still not comfortable with. No, that's, that's well said. That's well said. I will say there's a moment of levity to this. I don't know if you saw this on Twitter. 
Drew Garrison. I don't know if Drew's just a person or a comedian or whatever Drew is, but but Drew put together uh, kind of a, 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 a meme, for lack of a better term. It really wasn't that, but his Twitter says the following, and I'll read it to you, and it made me laugh out loud. Somebody forwarded this to me yesterday. It says, in the 650,000 emails that have been in this investigation, they found emails between Bengals owner Mike Brown and his daughter, and it says this, to Katie Blackburn from Mike Brown. Katie, comma, can you please help me unlock my iPhone? I can't remember how. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> here's, no, here's the punchline. P.S. Do you have that $7 you owe me for the salad? <laughs> I, that made me laugh. Yep. Yep. That's, that's about right. And honestly, yep. that would not surprise anyone if that was no, a right, real right. email. That was yeah, correct. Correct. Uh, this guy's taking this from Lance's show, but who is the best high school football player you guys ever saw play in person? I got a guy that nobody, I heard Lance talking about this last night, actually. And somebody brought up Mark Edwards when he was at Norwood. Um, and, and, uh, Mark did did everything. He was fabulous. I'm going back to a guy that only Northern Kentuckians of my age will probably remember, and he never really went on to anything else. A guy named George Rudd. He was a running back at Boone County way prior to Sean Alexander. George Rudd in the day was just absurd. He was he ran mean. Um, he ran angry. I can remember my one of my my co- my first college roommate. Um, was that old man Rudd's boy. It was old man Rudd's oh, boy, that's what I thought. Um, but uh, my, my my roommate in college went down to cover him on a kickoff right. And he tried to go low and get him like around the, the thigh to tackle him. Well, George lowered his head. And next thing I know, I hear this kaboom knocks my, my, my buddy out and he just keeps on running. He was just mean. If you want to go to, to somebody that people would know, um, it would be Sean Alexander. He was just a man among boys on any field he was on. I broadcast a game when he was a sophomore and scored was it seven touchdowns against Lexington Lafayette and, and the seventh came early in the second half on a, on a punt return. He didn't always return. He, ran, he returned kicks a lot. Didn't always return punts. I mean, it, it was literally men versus boys when he played. Um, uh, to me, he probably is the top one. I and he went do- on to something, obviously, as a as an NFL great, as an NFL MVP. So Yeah, he didn't stink. No. Um, I would go back to 2010. I was covering Tom Gamble's Skyline Chili Crosstown Showdown at St. X. Two games on ESPN. And the first one featured a quarterback at Huber Heights, Wayne, by the name of Braxton Miller. I, I was doing PA for that. Was it St. X, wasn't it? Yeah, it was at St. Yep, X. Absolutely. And he put I remember. He did. Show in that game. Yeah. Now, they actually lost to Moeller yep. in that yep. game. But the, his, I mean, it was like watching Michael Vick uh, for Virginia Tech the year they played in the Sugar Bowl against Florida State, against Peter Warwick and that Florida State defense, where every time he snapped the ball, the defense was immediately in the backfield with him. And then it was just him evading four or five guys in the backfield and then making a big play out of it. Big play after big play. It was every snap. There were guys immediately chasing him. He'd evade all of them. And then he'd figure out a way to run for a, a big game or bomb it downfield for a big game. I mean, it was I remember stunning that game well. to watch. It was a high I, school I, Michael Vick, basically, is I, what it was like watching. Um, by the way, right after that game, I don't know if you remember this, but a school out of Maryland named Good Counsel. Oh, absolutely. Took on St. X and had a wide receiver by the name of Stefan Diggs playing for him. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Not, not a little bad double feature that day out at the Skyline Chili Crosstown Showdown. Well done, Tom Gamble. And in the small world of small worlds, the, the girl that now covers the Bengals for the Enquirer, Kelsey Conway, went to high school at Good Counsel. So no kidding. No kidding. So small that. small worlds. I'll give you one more. And I broadcast this game with Tim Bray for Spectrum back when he was a senior at Mount Healthy just a few years ago. David Montgomery was the quarterback for Mount Healthy. Ran oh, for yeah. 423 yards against Taft. And I saw David probably play two or three times. So this was not like some rare game. David was just ridiculous. But that day, it was kind of the same way. It was, he, he just, he, it was, the game was a shootout. I mean, I think Mount Healthy won 56-50, something like that. Um, and, and David just took off and ran and, you know, he was being recruited as a running back and I thought, well, okay, I, I guess I see it. And, and boy, did he, I mean, he had a great career at Iowa state, obviously he's hurt now with the bears, but, um, uh, I've literally drafted on my fantasy team the last two years because kind of, because I, I just remember how good he was and how good he is. I mean, he, without getting hurt, he was off to a really good start for the bears this year. So David Montgomery is another one. There, there are a lot of them. It was a good topic. I didn't get a chance to listen to all of it. Cause I was on a phone call as I was driving home last night. But uh, but I did listen to some of it, and and it is always a fun top topic because you can just keep bringing up guy after guy. And go, oh yeah, he was great. Oh yeah, he was great. Um, but yeah, for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Sean Alexander because I just saw him so much, and it was it he stood out among standouts. 
one of the more fun guys to have those conversations with from people in Northern Kentucky is the, the Jared Lorenzen crowd who yeah. like, oh, I'm with telling you. the Jared Lorenzen stories are as fun as anybody. I don't know that he's the best player I saw, but the stories for, for him are always like, well, you know, t- Paul Bunyan t- t- type stories. Well, Tom Gamble and I broadcast the, the, the Northern Kentucky senior all-star game uh, the year he was a senior and he still made one of the damnedest plays I've ever seen. So, Balls, they're probably at their own 30, his offense, maybe even 35. And the ball gets shotgun snapped over his head. I mean, it was just rifled over his head. And by the time it gets done rolling, it's all the way back in the end zone. This is no lie. He scoops it up, and it's about probably right in the middle of the end zone, right? Scoops it up and rolls left, which is he was a left-hander, so he's rolling to his strong side. Gets to about the front pylon on the left side where he's rolling to, right? Stops, throws it all the way across the field, to the numbers at the 40-yard line on the other side of the 50 to a receiver. Which is like an 80-yard throw. Yes. (laughs) While he's running. While he's running. At, you know, 280 pounds or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that was the other part. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so yeah, there are the Paul Bunyan stories of him are all true. I'm just telling you, they are. And that's a perfect example of like whenever someone brings up Jared Lorenzen, it's always a story of like he threw it legitimately 80 yards on the fly or something like that. Or he was on a back foot and threw it 75 yards or something like I mean, it's always dude when he when he was at Kentucky and I was covering Kentucky, um, he would occasionally go on two knees at about the 40 yard line and throw balls through the goalpost. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing. I don't ever doubt any of the stories because I saw it once or twice with my own eyes when I was a kid. And I've seen enough just on film and even actually at a Bengals tailgate one time before a game when he was just tossing in a parking lot with people and throwing a ball like a couple hundred yards. It seems like ridiculous. like the, the dude had arm strength like you've never seen. So I don't doubt unreal. any of the stories when people tell them. Yeah. Unreal. All right, I've just got a <laughs> I have nothing to say about this, but I just saw it come across Twitter as we're we're uh, doing the podcast. Our our guy Vince who always sends in good questions is a great listener and I appreciate him listening and sending in all the questions. Wants to know and I don't know where he's going with this or if he actually thinks he would have anything to say. He says any thoughts on Thomas Moore basketball? I don't know if that was supposed to be a joke no, or I, what. I think I do I do think they're supposed to be pretty good. Um I'm sure they are. I yeah. I, I, um, is Brady Jolly co- still there? I remember he, he, went there. He, he I think he's the, yeah, no, he's definitely still there because he only okay. graduated Campbell County a couple three years ago. All right, two, I know he was ago. a good player. Um, yeah, they got a couple guys from, from Oak Hills, um, on that team. So I'm gonna say, yeah, they're gonna be pretty good. Justin Ray's the head coach, he's done a good job. Um, they've had to transition to NAIA, which I thought was going to be extraordinarily difficult because you're playing against guys that are getting paid from other schools, um, scholarship wise. And, and Thomas Moore was transitioning from division three, which is non-scholarship. And, uh, they've done a pretty good job in doing so. They don't have a lot of size. If I remember right last year, I don't think they started anybody above six, five, but they got a lot of skill and they, they seem to have kind of that one of those teams that you can probably switch everything. Cause everybody's about the same size and pretty good athletes. Um, so I'm going to say they're going to be pretty good. I know nothing other than that. <laughs> there we go. That's that's pretty good. Uh, another question from our, our guy Jed: Will Ahmad Sauce Gardner still be on the board when the Bengals are picking in the upcoming NFL draft? Yeah, that's a good question. I heard somebody else bring that one up um, on a show the other day, and I I guess it depends on when the Bengals draft, right? Um, yeah, he, he could arguably be the first corner off the board. It's a matter of when does that first corner come off the board. I mean, the, the things he has done statistically, and, and it's hard to, to measure stats. It's more pro football focus-based. Dude's never given up a touchdown. What? He's a monster. And he I, is he's a monster. legitimately that good, too. No, it's not I, anything I, about being in the no. AAC or anything like that. The dude is a stud. No, no. I mean, dude, he's a stud. And listen, it's it's not even that. It's scouts and 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 those that are doing the the, the ratings of, of draft prospects that have him uh, in a lot of places, the number one corner. So it's not just us going, oh, he's a UC guy and we see him and, uh, you know, yeah, yeah, he dominates against these teams. No, dude, other people say it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's a great question. I do think if he is on the board. I do think the Bengals are going to definitely be in the market for a cornerback unless they address it in free agency. Um, I would be thrilled if they found a way to keep the hometown I would, hero I, in Cincinnati. I would, I would too, because I think because I think he can really play. Me too. And the good, I mean, the thing about this is, is it's not wrapped. I mean, you know how this is with the NFL draft process. I mean, these guys get shuffled around, especially at cornerback, where you've got a lot of high end guys. They get shuffled around before the draft and after they go to the combine and everything. So, I mean, realistically whether he's number one or in the top three or four is going to make a huge difference. Cause there are some other top cornerbacks too. If he ends up being the top one off the board, 
then you start thinking, oh, yeah, I don't know if the Bengals are going to be in the top five, six, seven picks, right? right Which right, is where you right. think that top cornerback is probably going to go eventually. Probably, probably minimum top 10. Right. And if he's the second or third cornerback, then you're like, oh, well, could the Bengals be 10 through 15 somewhere? Absolutely. I mean, that's yeah. very much on the table for the Bengals this year. So I think it's possible that he's he's around still, certainly. And if he is, I would not be mad at all if that's the direction the Bengals no, are looking to go. With. I wouldn't I either. I mean, plenty I, of familiarity with them. I'm sure they've watched him a ton. And you're going to be in the market for a cornerback. Absolutely. Because they're, they're going to eat the last part of Trey Wayne's uh, against the cap. Which, by the way, I crushed him early on in the season, but Eli Apple has not been nearly as bad as I thought he was going to be. He no. was terrible for the first couple of weeks, but he has settled down. Yeah, no, it, it, it's it's been better. And and hopefully, you know, again, this was a fir- this was a high-end first-round talent too, right? Just from a sheer talent perspective. That's where he was rated. I'm not, and I'm not even asking him to be that first round talent. I'm just asking him to be a serviceable starting corner. Right. I think for the most part, he's been that. Yeah, better than I expected for sure. I mean, he he cost them early on, but since then, he is. I mean, I really haven't thought about him a whole lot since then, which is a good thing if you're a cornerback. Absolutely right. No, that's exactly right. Okay, we'll wrap it up with this. This guy says he wants nothing in all caps to happen to Dave Lapham. But what former player would make a great color commentary guy with Dan Horde if Dave would retire? Ooh, that's a good question. That is a really good question. Let me throw this out to you. Yeah. Could my man Ocho do it? Or would it be too much of a sideshow? I think it'd be too much of a sideshow. I really do. I think you're probably right. Um, I was trying to think if there's any former quarterbacks that could pull it off and guys who still are around in town. Um. Yeah, that's boy. That's a hard one. That is really a good question. I I honestly don't know the answer to that. You know, no offense. I don't think Anthony Munoz is very good at it. I just don't. I mean, he does it on TV in preseason, and I don't learn anything. Um, uh, you know who I think would be in line for it? To be honest with you, because he does a, a, a an after Bengals show right now as an analyst is Tim McGee. Yep, he does do a show. He does a show. He does do a show. Yeah, he does a show. Um, so I think he could be in line for something like that. And I'm trying to think if there'd be anybody else. Who am I missing former quarterback wise that's still around? I don't uh, John Kittness coaching high school ball somewhere. He's not available. He's Carson, they, they, they would they would not bring Carson back. He has back. zero charisma or personality. <laughs> that's uh, that's that's a fact. Um because usually those guys are the linemen are some of the ones that, that do a really good job of the, the analysis portion. Yeah, well, program. I mean, you know who would be outstanding whenever he finally ends is Whitworth. Whenever he finally uh, that's gets good, done, Whitworth that's would a be great, outstanding. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point, too. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go that Tim McGee would be in line for it, and I'll you leave know, it at that. You know who <laughs> – you know. You know whose uh, analysis I actually really love, but God love him, he'd have absolutely no chance of doing it on air because, well, quite honestly, he has a lisp, no offense, but it's Willie Anderson. I love reading his tweets yeah. and listening to yep. the, the stuff he says about line play and all that, but, I mean, unfortunately, the guy, probably not someone you're putting on air. I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you who I think is a really good analyst is Jim Kelly on UC games. I really like Jim. Yeah, I think he does a good job too. I don't know if uh, he'd he'd be in line yeah. for the Bengals gig. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, he's got Dan Hort as a partner. I mean, maybe that would That's true. have Just a little cachet. Carry there. over. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's right. So, all right. I don't know if we have much better of an answer than that. That's nope. kind of where I'm at nope. on it. Yep. Tim McGee would be in line for it. That's, all right. That's where we'll go with it. That's all, all right, we got. <laughs> All right, Rick. Thanks for the questions as always. Keep them coming each and every week. Uh, Rick and I will be back on Sunday after the Bengals game uh, with our Bengals postgame podcast. And uh, we'll have this podcast again next week at this same very time around a Thursday afternoon. We appreciate you listening. Thanks to, uh, to all the questions that came in. For Rick Roaring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the Weekly Potpourri Edition, presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending.